Amen. All right, so this is going to be part two. So we began the parable of the sower, and Jesus is telling of this parable last week. So I want to begin with a quick recap of last week, and then we're going to jump right into our text. So Mark chapter 4 uh, begins with this same day where Jesus and his disciples are gathered down by the lake, and then he begins to tell them parables. So the way Mark gives it to us and the other synoptic gospels as well, Matthew and Luke, we see that Jesus tells the parable, but he doesn't tell them the explanation. And so to the crowd at large, he speaks in a way that is not clear to the hearer. But he does give some helpful details that are going to help us this morning. So I want to just review quickly what Jesus went over in verses 3 through 9, and then we're going to uh, spend our time in 14 through 20. So one of the things we talked about last week was the varied terrain that is in Israel and around the Sea of Galilee. It is not unordinary to see fertile green land next to rocks and thorns. And so farmers have a very difficult time there. And so when Jesus talks about these four types of soil or these four places where the seed could land, this would be very familiar to the hearer. And so the first one is along the path. And the path is really hard ground. It's hard because it's beaten down by feet trotting on it again and again. And so the uh, seed is not going to penetrate the hard ground. It's just going to stay on, on the surface, and the birds are going to come and pick it up. The second one is the rocky ground. And the rocky ground may have enough dirt so that the seed can take root, but there's so many rocks that the roots have no depth. And uh, Luke tells us that they don't have enough moisture. There's no, there's no water. It's dry, and they soon die. Then you've got the thorns, and the thorns will let you grow, but pretty soon the thorns are going to grow faster, and they're going to choke you out, and they're going to take all the nutrients from the ground. And so they were familiar with all of these, these, these images, and every farmer knows the frustration, or any gardener knows the, the frustration of trying to find the perfect composition of seeds that will bear and, and fruitful ground. And so the fourth one is the fruitful ground, where all the conditions work so that something will sprout up, and it will grow, and it will yield, and it will multiply. And that is kind of the crescendo of this whole parable. And Jesus says, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So the average hearer saying, yeah, I understand all those words perfectly, but so what? And Jesus' disciples are kind of walking away the same way. And... Um, the thing we're going to see that's going to be carried in is that theme of hearing. So remember that. That's going to be a big part of this morning. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. What does hearing have to do with this, this parable? Because the disciples heard, but they didn't yet understand. And so picking up in verse 10, they asked him about the parables. One, why are you speaking in parables? Because there's a lot more than just this one. But also, what did you mean by this parable? And so many people call this text a Markin sandwich. So uh, simple or excuse me, very technical term that means the, the meat of this text is sandwiched between the telling of the parable of the sower and the explaining of the parable of the sower. The meat of this text is 10 through 12, where Jesus kind of peels back God's eternal economy and says there are secrets that no one else will know except if they're given to you by God. And this is a gift. The kingdom of God will be made visible to you. Those who sit around me, those who come to me in faith. And that's, verse, verse 11 is really the heart of this whole thing. To you, speaking to those inside, remember that was the big contrast we looked at last week. Those on the inside, those who, who came to Jesus in faith, and those on the outside who are far from him. To you, the ones who come to me, have been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those on the outside, everything is in parable. And then he goes on to say the parables are so that they would see and not come to understand. And that they would hear and not perceive. And, and so, because if they did, they would turn and they would be healed or they would be forgiven. So the parables are for the enlightenment, the, the eye-opening insight into the kingdom of God for those who are on the inside. And they are for condemnation and judgment for those who are on the outside. And so, this is where we kind of hinge on verse 13, which we ended with last week, but we begin with this week. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And so under, the understanding of God is the key to this whole thing. 
It's not like some parables are, are made available and others aren't. If you don't understand one, you won't understand any of them. And one of the images I showed last week I think was helpful that if it wasn't helpful for you, it was helpful for me, and I'm going to show it again. But if you think God's Word is interesting, and think, oh, this is really nice, uh, well-written stories, and Jesus is a good teacher, it looks like the outside of a, of a cathedral, right? It is, it's, it's man-made, it's... Um, yeah, this was a, uh, one of the oldest cathedrals in uh, France. I mean, look at the ornate design and, um, and all of the intricacies, and you can go to the, uh, the uh, close-up. So yeah, we saw this, and oh, okay, this is what a parable looks like to someone on the outside. That's, that's pretty cool, but so what? Until you look on the inside. If you're on the inside, when the light shines through, how God opens our eyes to the brilliance and the beauty in the wonder of His kingdom explained and His kingdom given to us. And so this is the nature of parables. To those on the outside, it, it seems okay, but it's dark and lifeless. For those on the inside, it is brilliant. And it is amazing. And so parables act like the pillar of cloud that, that went behind the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember the same, if you read Exodus 14, the same pillar of cloud would light up the sky during the night so the Israelites could walk. And it would darken the sky for the Egyptians so that they wouldn't see anything. This is the same nature of parables. This is God's word. It lights up the sky so that his people can walk foot by foot. He is a light, un, light unto our path. But darkness and confusion for those who are not among his people. And so we're going to look at the parable this week in the explanation and application. Last week was you know, his, his purpose and practice that Jesus taught parables often. But this week we're really going to dive into the practical. Dealing with Jesus' explanation and how do we apply this. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump in at verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you because you are worthy of all praise even if we were not standing here today, the rocks would cry out how glorious you are, just like the angels are crying out in heaven right now. How amazing it is that you've opened your word to us. You've given us eyes to see, ears to hear, that your word may penetrate us, search us, convict us. I pray that your spirit would teach us this morning. Encourage us uh, and give us the desire to grow closer to you and be bold in sowing seeds of the word of God that we might be a part of the harvest, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want to do a bit of an overview. If you look at your outline, we're going to look at the three major players in this text. And then we're going to work, work through verse by verse. But the three major players, you've got the sower, you've got the seed, and you've got the soil. And so um, these essentially are minister, those that the minister of the gospel, the word, the gospel itself, and the hearers, those whose eardrums hear the words of the gospel. And so I want to work through each of these quickly, but just to give you a sense of what Jesus is getting at here. So who is the sower? So as in all things... Ultimately, it is the Lord. But here, specifically, it's, it's Christ. It's the first among his brothers. But there is a new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31. 
So if you're familiar with the, the, the New Covenant, and this will be on the screen if you can turn there with me, great. But if you're familiar with Jeremiah 31, the promise of a new covenant coming and God writing His laws on their hearts and a new covenant with, with his, his people and a change is something that He's doing that He has not done before. Right before the new covenant promise, He speaks of a day when He will do sowing. Look at Jeremiah 31, verses 27 and 28. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow and destroy and bring harm, knowing the context of Jeremiah, everyone loves Jeremiah 29.11 until you read the context. You're in captivity. It's not a good time. Because of Israel's wickedness, God has been punishing them. But the same God who presides over their, their punishment will also preside over their growth. Look at the, the sowing language that comes in the second half of this verse. So I will watch over them also to build and to plant, declares the Lord. And so he gives them a promise of a sower who will sow seeds that will build up and plant a new nation beginning in Israel. Why Jesus said, I came first for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So ultimately, this is the Lord and Jesus being the sower who's bringing this new covenant in. But in the new covenant, Paul picks up on this language and tells us that we are all workers in this covenant. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where whenever you want to see what is wrong with the church, you go to 1 Corinthians. And what's wrong with the church in chapter 3 is that there are factions within the church. And people are aligning themselves to certain teachers as they often do now. Well, I really like this guy, or I really like this guy. And so they claim their identity to a particular teacher in a particular style. And Paul chastises them for it, as he should. I'm going to pick up in verse 4. For one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paulos. Are you not being merely human? Like This is not things that the, the believers do. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Just workers in the field. They are not the ones to be celebrated. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. This is going to be important as we work through this, this parable that the work of the Lord is essential for growth to happen. Just like anything living on this planet, you can never make a seed sprout roots. You can never make anything grow. You can try all you want, but without God's power, cells cannot come together to form life. It is, it is God who brings the growth. And so here's the encouragement that it's not up to you. That means just like you can't make it grow, you can't screw it up. But also, it's humbling so that we don't take credit. So neither is he who plants nor he who waters anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. So as all things, the old covenant promises of God are fulfilled in Christ and they are given to the saints so that we can fulfill God's work of sowing and watering and, and reaping through God's power for God's glory. And that's what the sower is here. And not for our glory. So you've got the sower. The next one is the seed. And so, any of you who have been in a Bible study for me, with me for more than once at least, you're going to see, what is repeated the most? Anyone notice? Eight times in this passage. Word. The seed is the word again and again in each section. The word and the responses to the word. So it makes this the obvious focus of the parable. It's the word of the Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the kingdom proclaimed. And I've read this passage before, but I want to read it again because what exactly is the word? It's important that we say gospel and we talk about the word, but it's important that our gospel be biblical and important that our gospel be consistent. So what is the gospel that Mark heard? Turn to Acts chapter 10. When Peter explains the gospel, he covers all the bases. And it's a beautiful presentation of what God is doing to the first Gentile audience outside of the 
apostles' influence, the gospel begins to spread. If you want to do an interesting word study, look at word or the word of the Lord in Acts. It is all throughout the book of, the, book of Acts. You know, the book is often called the Acts of the Apostles. But it's probably more appropriately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Word. Because that is the real subject of Acts. The Word going forth and the Word going forth. And so look at chapter 10, picking up in verse 34. So remember, before this, Peter would not even step in the house of a Gentile. After this, Peter wouldn't step in the house of a Gentile either, but that's a different story. Uh, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Here we go. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, this is good news of peace. He is Lord of all. Here comes the good news. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. This is no secret. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. If you watch Peter's gospel explanation, it follows perfectly the details that Mark uses in his gospel. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the gospel. It is the gospel of peace. The details are important. Jesus is baptized. Holy Spirit descending on him. Father, Son, and Spirit all in perfect agreement that drives his ministry. Jesus healed. Jesus cast out demons. He taught in a powerful way through the Holy Spirit. And they killed him. But God raised him up to new life. And not without witnesses, but to many who are still around to write about it and talk about it. And he ate with them. It shows he was truly human. God was with him, showing he was truly divine. And this gospel message is to go out to everyone so that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the gospel. This is the word that we're dealing with. We should never be tired of the gospel. We should never be tired and slink back from these details to proclaim on every housetop and mountaintop. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came, died for sins, rose again, and if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Amen? That is the word, and it is to be sown everywhere, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, because God shows no partiality. This is another reason why we see the seed going on every type of ground. So we've got the sower, the seed, and now the soil. So this could be a, a tale of four soils. And really, the, the tale of four soils and the interplay with the word, how the word affects each of them. And so we've got the path, the rocky, the thorny, and the fruitful. So I'm going to retitle those the unresponsive, the impulsive, the divided, and the fruitful. And so before we get into our text, it's important to understand that this is not an exercise in human psychology and, and receptivity. So how do we determine how we get someone to respond to the message? That is not what is going on here. What's going on here is that this is a teaching on soils that are created by and conditioned by God to respond. How do we know that? If you notice in each one of these sections, it's easy to gloss over it. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path. Are. This is identity. This is who they are. They are. Verse 16. And these are. Verse 18, and others are. Verse 20, and the good soil are the ones. This is who they are. 
This is not what they become as soon as they, they hear it. They're responding according to their nature. They are rocks. They are thorny. They are good soil. And so, one, this is a work of God, not of us. And so we'll, we'll get into the particulars in a moment. But also, this is not exhaustive as to the responses. Because this is not even taking into account those who hate him and never wanted to go and listen to him teach. It's not the ones who, were, who had vile, murderous plots in their hearts against them. This is four categories of people who are listening to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his hearers about them in front of them. And so the parallel we're going to look at this morning is these are people who attend church. And so what do each of these look like within the church? Those who come to hear the teachings of Jesus in each one of these is it's come to bear, and I will argue that each one of you have seen someone like this. So, let's jump into verse 15. And these are the ones sown along the path. Remember, the path, the hard ground, the, the hearers, the unresponsive are the ones on the path. They're snatched up because of hard hearts just like the hard ground. They can't resist Satan. They... Um, they, they, they don't even want to. Just The seeds sit there, they go nowhere, there is no life in them at all. But there's an interesting word here at the end of, or two words here at the end of 15. It says, where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So a lot of people, this has caused people problems. Like, what does it mean that the word is sown in them? Well, looking at Matthew is really helpful. Matthew 13, 19 he tells what it means that they're sown in them. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Wait a second, there's a seed sown in his heart? But what we must understand is that it can be sown, but it is not grown. The heart of stone, the seed is not going to catch root in a heart of stone. It may penetrate all the way to the heart, but the heart is dead. It won't receive it. So as we're talking about the hearers in each one of these, these instances, it's also hearts. We're dealing with the hearts of, of, of people here. This one is a very hard heart. And so what does it look like? Who are they? So many of these, the ones who follow on the path, they're the ones who, who hear the gospel. They have heard the words, but they're just unaffected. Many of them come in, hear the word, and leave. Okay, this is not for me. Just brush it off and go about with their day. But even worse, many of them come to church and they sit week after week, month after month, year after year. They check the box and walk out completely unresponsive. Means nothing, changes nothing in their life. So when I first got here, uh, there was a man who sat probably the fifth pew right there. Uh, I'm not going to pick on you, April, but right about where you're sitting. Um, and he had been here for decades. Every week came with his suit on, most weeks uh, nodding off to his defense. That was probably pretty boring then. Um, but he had no response to the word whatsoever. I would talk to him. He had been in church for decades. He's probably sitting in, a, in another pew in another church right now. He couldn't tell you the difference between Jesus and Donald Duck and would sit week after week and I would ask him basic questions, and there was just this blank stare. But because he had to, because he was supposed to, he came every week. That is the seed on the path. Next one, verse 16. Here's the impulsive ones. They are the ones sown on rocky, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear it, the word immediately, they receive it with joy. Here's the impulsive ones. We know these people. Oh, that sounds great. This is the new quick fix. This is going to change everything in my life. But those are the people whose lives are typically pretty rocky too, right? I'm going over here to this new thing. I'm going over here to this new thing. They don't, they don't have any foundation. I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to this. There's this impulsive response. I am always weary, leery of the over-the-top conversion. You know, the people who have these, uh, these overnight emotional conversions and everything's changed and they're over the top. I'm like, okay, let's just sit and watch. I had a friend in high school, maybe you've had one of these, who um, had been to church many times before, but then he's dating a girl. It's always a girl. 
Sorry, ladies, it is. With guys, it's always a girl. And he, she was very passionate about her faith. It was a very emotional church. And he goes and he has an emotional experience. So he was on fire for his faith for about the next two or three months. He walked around telling everyone what they should do and what they shouldn't do. No one should curse in his, in, in his presence. He changed the way he, he dressed. Everything changed for about two or three months. And then because he was on rocky ground, he had no root in himself, it wore off. To this day, does not know the Lord. She does, thankfully, but he does not. Because you look at the words that Mark uses here, and immediately they receive it with joy. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Consider what you're doing. You have to follow me. This is not going to be easy. Take up your cross and follow me. Many people hear the word, and it sounds great, and they just shoot off like a cannon. But they have not counted the cost. They have not realized what it means to take up the cross. To take up my sin, my shame, to take up my name, and the world will hate you for it. J.C. Ryle, great writer, um, Anglican minister, he says that they are like cut flowers. They look beautiful for a moment sitting in a glass on a table. But because they are cut and they have no root, they will soon die and wither away. The rocky ground is like cut flowers. Because they have no root in themselves. This language is intentional too. It's like the ears to hear. There is nothing in them. There is no eternal life implanted with them. No ears to hear. No root in themselves. And the Greek is, is very descriptive here. In verse 17, he says, but that will, the ESV says, but in, endure for a while. The, the, the Greek is, is literally being temporary. It's not real. It's just a flash in the pan. But being temporary, then, when tribulation and persecution rises. It's coming. Not if, but when. You are, you are all good until tribulation comes, until persecution comes. It's coming. And this is why the message of health and wealth and false gospels are so dangerous. Because it promises that God wants your best life now. And God wants you to have everything that makes you happy right now. But what about when it doesn't? Jesus promised that it wouldn't. You will have troubles in this world. Take heart because I've overcome the world. But when you hear a message that everything's going to be good and then it isn't, it's a false gospel, it's false expectations, and it is creating people in rocky soil. And life is hard enough. But wait till you get challenged on account of the word. Trials and tribulations will come. If you stand up for your faith, if you say the name of Jesus Christ, if you tell people they are sinners, if you tell people they are wrong, trials and tribulation will come. Not had trials and tribulations in your faith? You probably have not said those words. Happened this week. So what does it look like to have attacks on the account of the word? Sat down at a table with a man this week who told me, you're full of crap. Your God is full of crap. Your religion is full of crap. I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in me. And I'm not going to listen to you. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. He says, if there's a heaven, I'm definitely not going. I said, well, that's the one thing we agree on. And he got up and walked away. He was spitting and fuming and red in his face, staring me down because of the word, because of the name of Jesus. And not to give myself any credit, I was stunned. I didn't, it, we went from zero to uh, Ghost Rider in like two seconds. And I, I don't know where that came from. Anybody who didn't get that reference, David will tell you later. Um, <laughs> but this is what happens. When you proclaim the word and trials and persecutions come because of the word, they will fall away. This is not what I signed up for. It's like roadrunner dust. I am out of here. Man, two for two. All right. <laughs> uh, this, this word for fall away is interesting. It's the word for a, a bait stick. 
So anyone you know anything about primitive hunting, there's a, there's a, there's a stick that is placed in either a snare or, or, a, or a trap. The animal comes and gnaws on, and a noose will go around his neck, or a rock will fall on top of him. This word for falling away is, is being caught away. You are ensnared in, in a trap. You're not just falling away on your own. You're getting pulled away by your own fear. You are caught in the trap of your own false zeal. In verse 5, Jesus tells us that they wither and die and they're scorched in the sun because they have no depth. This is why we strive for depth here. This is why we don't just skate on the surface. Shallow teaching, shallow sermons make shallow Christians. Because if you are shallow in your teaching, if you are not honest with one another, if we don't push on those hard, difficult places in our own hearts that we don't want to let go of, that's why many churches and many Christians struggle when things get hard. Because when you paint this false, rosy picture, like everything's going to be okay, you're going to fall away pretty quickly. We want to be people who are deep, whose roots are not this deep, who we stand on foundations so when the wind and the waves and the storms come and the trials and persecutions of this life, we are confident in the Word of God. Amen. So, third one, the thorns. Pick up in verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the Word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for their other things enter in and choke the Word. And it proves unfruitful. These are the divided. Those who hear the Word and they begin to grow. They're divided amongst other cares. And so I want to break down these, these terms. Because every one of us is susceptible to the details that are in here. But do we succumb to them? The first thing, the cares of this world or, or the, the cares of this age. What is going on in the world around us? People consumed with the now. If any time in history people are consumed with now, it is right now. Because there's always something in our 24-hour news cycle, always something to be worried about. Always some new financial, social, cultural crisis. The cares of this world. If you listen to the world, you should be scared out of your mind. If you watch the news and you are miserable, I'm not surprised. Many people watch the news as, as if it is authoritative Scripture. Amen? But the cares of the world are all that is being promoted. And they play a part with the deceitfulness of riches. If I could just have enough money, if I could just, the, the, the temptation to have more, and then all the problems will be solved, then I can insulate myself from all the things that make me uncomfortable. There is a great temptation in riches. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Because there is also great temptation in poverty. Give me neither poverty nor riches. God, I know there is temptation if I have too much or if I have too little. Give me, feed me with the food that is needed for me. God, give me just what I need. Lest I be full and deny you. Who is the Lord? Have you seen any rich people say, I don't need God? Any Christians who get a lot of money and then all of a sudden that they, they have less time for the Lord? because they've, they've got all these other obligations, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Every one of us is drawn away by the cares of the world. Every one of us feels the, the pull to want more money or to feel pious and, and say, yeah, I don't, I don't need anything, and then rest in my, my own ability. We've got to be careful of the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of riches. Riches. Then here's the other one. The desires for other things. What is a desire for other things? I love that James talks about this. James talks about desires because every one of us in our flesh has desires. Every one of us has something that, that we want. But James uses the language of when it is conceived, it gives birth. There's a difference between having a desire for, some, for other things than the Lord and feeding into that desire. And bringing it to conception, letting it give birth, because eventually it will lead to death. 
All of, the, all of us have these desires in our flesh, but do we indulge them? When you have a desire that comes into your mind, desire for lust, desire for greed, desire for self-exaltation, desire for validation, whatever your thing is, do you take that thought captive to Christ? Or do you indulge it? Do you let your mind run with it? And then it begins to work with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And this word for choke here, it means to squeeze together. All of these things are working together to choke out the word. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, they're working together to suffocate whatever bit of life you think is in you. And there is no perseverance once again. And John tells us in 1 John, they went out from us because they were not of us to begin with. And these are the hardest ones to spot in the church. Because they may have been around for a while. They've been around long enough to sprout up. They've been around long enough for thorns to grow up around them. They actually appear to grow. They agree with the teaching. They say Christian words. They, they, they approve of what is good. But they will only grow so much. Until life gets hard. Until following Christ becomes too difficult. Or until following Christ, and here's where the rubber usually meets the road, until following Christ competes with what they value most. Yet Jesus was good until he asked me to give up this. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was with you guys until I can no longer have my pet sin or my pet idol that I am placing above Christ. Just like we've, we've all seen fair-weather Christians. Just like we've all had fair-weather friends. They're with you as long as things are going well. But as soon as you're, you're, you're in trouble or you disappoint them, they're gone. These ones, it just takes a little longer. There are more factors at play but still unfruitful ground that does not persevere. So before we get into this last one, it's essential for us to know our role in this. And here's what's important. We don't know the soil. I've seen too many Christians try to figure out, well, is this person this type of person or is this person saved? We are to be sowers and we are to know the seed. We'd be ministers of the gospel and know the word well. It is up to the Lord to determine the soil. You didn't create it. He knows what he created. He knows who will be receptive or not. And so many people worry about what, what will this person think of me? Will, they re, will it be received or not? It doesn't matter. Our job is to sow and to know the seed. And all else will fall away. Let God worry about the hearer. Let God worry about the soil. All right. But, verse 20, anytime we see a but in Scripture, especially a verse that begins with, with but, we're seeing a transition here. This verse, but those that were sown on good soil, again, are the ones who, three marks of a disciple here. They hear the word, all of them heard the word, and they accept it, and they bear fruit. How do you know if someone has ears to hear? They hear the word, and they receive it, and they bear fruit. So many of you may have noticed that word is in here eight times. Here is in here four times, one in each section. I won't get into Greek grammar too often, but here I will. So for those of you Greek students, the first three are in the aorist tense, which means when they heard, it is completed action in the past. One time, it is finished. But the last one is in the present tense. Caleb's eyes got really big. Um, the, the, the last one is in the present tense. This is continual, ongoing action. They weren't just hearers one time, but they're in the state of hearing. They're continually hearing. The ones that fell on the path, they heard, gone. The ones that fell on the rocks, they heard, gone. The ones that fell among the thorns, they heard, gone. But the last ones, they are hearing. And it, and it goes on. And so he's essentially telling us that three-quarters of those who hear 
are not going to bear fruit. And here's the difference. They all heard the words. They all heard the same words. But three quarters of them didn't hear the voice of the shepherd. Jesus tells us in John 10, I know my sheep, my sheep know me, and they will hear my voice. They heard words, but they didn't hear the voice of the shepherd. That is the difference. When those who fall on good soil hear, it is Jesus speaking to them. It is Jesus calling out to them, and they receive what He is proclaiming through His messengers. This word, accept, means to receive something from another. God has in such a way created soil and made it fertile that when the Word goes out, when the seeds go into the ground, they will, they will sprout up because they were made for one another. Luke 8.15 is, is really helpful. Luke kind of, uh, in this same parable, he gives us details of what is going on inside the hearer. In Luke 8.15 he says, As for the one in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There is a difference between the hard hearts where the seeds are taken away along the path and the, the honest and good heart of those who hold fast to God's Word because they were made to. This is the good soil. So they will hear, they will accept, and they will bear fruit. So what does it mean to bear fruit? So I want to use the language that Jesus used in verse 8. How do we know if someone has ears to hear? How do we know if someone's going to bear fruit? Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, Growing up, increasing, and yielding. This is the Christian sanctification process. Growing up, you've got green shoots that come out of these little seeds. And you've got increase. They don't just stay there, they grow. And then they've got to yield. Fruit comes out of it. This is what it means to bear fruit. How do we know if someone's in good soil? We'll, we will see them grow. We will see them increase. We will see them bear fruit over time. I want to give you a, a few marks of that that I think is, is helpful. Because if the Holy Spirit is working in someone, it cannot be stopped and it cannot be hidden. This is important. The work of the Spirit cannot be stopped and it cannot be hidden because if you are good soil... We will see the fruit of the Spirit in a way that you were not capable of before. Not just say things like love, joy, and peace, but we will see love. We will see joy in your life. We will see peace. We will see patience. We will see kindness. We will see goodness. Because the Spirit is working within you. We will also see hatred of sin. And we will see conviction that is unavoidable. One of the most comforting things is when I sit across from a struggling Christian and they tell me how broken up they are over their sin. I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you are miserable in your sin. Praise the Lord that you are convicted. That is a sign of life. If you are indifferent to your sin, I'm a little worried. I'm a lot worried. We also see a love for and a desire for the things of God that will grow and grow. Well, see, you want to be around believers. See, you want to pray, want to read your word. See, you want to give God glory for everything in your life. And that grows over time. Doesn't always happen right away. Doesn't happen in the same frequency. But it will, guaranteed. So when I think about the dramatic conversions, those who immediately spring up, I think of George Whitfield. So George Whitfield is the uh, great evangelist during the Great Awakening, proclaiming the gospel to thousands upon tens of thousands of people. And so interested people that the day after, oh, I heard you were preaching yesterday. How many people got saved? Not much has changed. People still ask the same questions as if we are God. Whitfield's response is perfect. I'll tell you in about six months. That's the answer. This, these things will happen. So some, when someone says that they're converted, 
Or, yeah, I had this experience. Okay, great. We'll wait. See me in a month. See me in two months. See me in six months. If you're still walking with the Lord, if your zeal is still growing, if there is still life in you, then I'm much more confident than it is good fruit than the flash in the pants. Maybe I'm cynical, but I don't run after everyone who says that they have a conversion. Great. Show me. Next time I see you, show me some more. And so there's a few things I want us to consider for the church as we think about these people coming in and out of the, the, the church. And what does this mean for the, the church? I mean, the true church. Not the visible church where people come and go, but the saints. For all eternity, the bride of Christ. What does this mean for us? Notice there is only one type of good soil. There is no other way than to hear the word. That's it. You can't love people into the kingdom. You can't create some program to bring them into the kingdom. Hear the word. That's it. But also notice this last line that we didn't get into. Not everyone will increase the same amount. Some 30, some 60, some 100. God has created us differently. But all will bear fruit. And so this should be uh, a time for joy and just a time for resting I don't have to produce the fruit that someone else does. I don't have to judge the person who's not producing as much fruit as I am. We're not made to produce the same fruit, but we all will produce fruit. Because Jesus also never tells us how long it will take for that fruit to bear. If you've ever gardened at all, you plant a pineapple, you've got to wait three years for your first pineapple. Some fruits, you'll get them within a couple months. Some, it just takes longer to bear fruit. And so that gives us patience in, in resting in the Lord. And so if we're all bearing different fruit at different times, but it is God who determines the soil and the yielding, be content with what God has given you. And you can be. Celebrate what God has given you, whether it's much or whether it's, it's little. And here, what may be even a little harder, encourage others who bear more fruit than you. Encourage others who bear less fruit than you. Realizing that God has given to some talents. He has not given to others. He's given more to others and less to others. But we should rejoice that we are bearing fruit at all. So a couple quick applications here. Um, Sheree, as she often does, gives me really good uh, sermon helps. So this was, this was helpful. She said, I wonder if there's a practical application in this in our own lives. In that, for believers, there's a season, even, even believers, there's a season where each of these soils is true in our lives. So yeah, you know, I had to think about it, but probably. Because every one of us has felt like, man, I'm, I'm reading the Word and I'm just getting nothing out of it today. Like, it has just been, not that it will ever be snatched up from you fully, but it's like I'm, I'm reading it and it's gone. There's, there's, there's nothing beneficial, but we persevere. Sometimes I'm reading and I get so excited and I just fizzle out quickly. Keep going to God's word and sowing that word in, our, in ourselves and in others. Sometimes I am holding fast to God's word, but everything just feels like it's choking it out of my life. You go to God's word. You cry out to the Spirit who made you new, who gave you His fruits, who sealed you with His power. And then we rejoice and we anxiously, anxiously wait the time when, you know those fruitful seasons when you're just reading scripture and just God is ministering to you and God is feeding you and it is a beautiful thing. Just like this, this parable. Because the other side of that is when we share the gospel, we can get discouraged because, man, this person didn't respond or this person didn't respond. If Jesus doesn't expect all these types of ground to respond, neither should we. But he still sowed everywhere. Again, we don't control the ground, but we are sowers. We do, we should know the word, but don't lose heart. God has prepared good soil. The lost sheep, he has given them ears to hear. And when they hear their, 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 their master's voice, the ears will perk up, and they will come home. And we will face obstacles, and we will face tribulation and disappointment. But if you are sitting here this morning and you are in Christ, it's because God used someone who loves you, 
cares about you to, to share the gospel with you. Romans 10, Paul tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. This is the parable. If you are standing here this morning in Christ, you, you are part of the harvest. And the harvest is not done. And so we pray for opportunities to, 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 to sow seed, to water where others have sown, so that there will be a harvest to the glory of God. What we learn from this parable is that the whole purpose of this parable, too many people get caught up in the first three. Well, how do we fix the path? How do we fix the rocky? How do we fix the thorny? The good is the, is the purpose of this whole parable. That's why the sower sows. Because when the good soil reaps a harvest of 30, 60, 100, 1,000 fold, all those that bear no fruit will be soon forgotten. Because God is so glorified in the redeeming of good soil through those sowing through the proclamation of the word for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. Again and again and again we praise you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Savior, Redeemer. Lord, King. What an encouragement it is to spend time in your word. To see how you work. The beauty and the perfection of your redemption and of your revelation. Lord, I pray that your saints would be encouraged this morning. I pray that there would be fertile ground in this room that has not seen growth yet, that we would see new life sprout from the dust. And I pray for everyone in this room who knows what it is to bear fruit and has those in their life that they love and they want them to bear fruit. They want them to grow and increase and yield. And I pray that, Lord, you would use us in your harvest. That you would bring fruit to our efforts as we labor in your field. For your glory. Working together for the glory of God. And it is in your name we pray, Heavenly Father. Savior Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.